The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year. Until I dig around it and put manure on it, if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise I invite you all to be seated. Pastor, you weren't kidding when you said these are challenging texts today. I can see why this was a good Sunday for me to show up. You know, we, we hear Paul talking about the things that Paul often talks about. And a lot of times it's interesting when I see verses like what we have today because I hear Paul in some ways contrasting with what Jesus says. You know, we hear Paul talking about how the, uh, the actions that we have and the things that the Corinthians were doing, and let's make no bones about it, if Paul wrote you a letter that wound up in the Bible, it's not because of your holy living. And so Paul was writing this letter for cause, Right. And, and what he was reminding the people is that in a lot of ways, we do bear the fruit that has been sown within us. If we're an apple, we're not going to bear an orange. If we're a pear tree, we're not going to have apples growing off of us, right? And so Paul was reminding them of all the bad things that can befall us if we stray, not just from the path of God, but if we stray from what the good path is in life. And I, I think sometimes when we think about what what it means to, to be a person who follows Jesus, and especially in our culture, which talks so much about morality. And don't get me wrong, morality is good. I'm not saying it's bad. But in our culture that talks about morality as being the fruit of our faith, you know, we, we hear sometimes, I think, a message that isn't intended, that morality is the first thing that we're really concerned about. You know, if you ask a lot of people why they go to church, the first thing I hear people say a lot of times is, well, I want to be a good person. Well, I know a lot of people who are good people who don't go to church. You know, if if going to church is is the first fruit, or if being a good person is the first fruit that comes from going to church, then we might not have to get up as early in the morning sometimes, right? I I think what we hear that is contrasting with Paul's concern for the way people are acting, which again, they, it was for cause that he was saying this to them, is Jesus' comments in the gospel. The people asked Jesus about the Galileans whose blood had been mingled in with the sacrifices and, Jesus, and asked Jesus whether they were worse people, and Jesus said no. And then he says something that I find to be really interesting. But unless you repent then you'll perish just as they did. Now, here's the rub, and I know this is going to shock you. We're all human. 
all of us will meet the same end at some point. We might not all meet it in the same way, but we will all meet it. And so in some ways, when we have Jesus answering this question, he's answering it in a way that might not be playful because of the seriousness of it, but is certainly not straightforward. What Jesus is saying, I think, to these people is that the first fruit of our faith isn't necessarily going to be whether we're a good person or a bad person. It certainly isn't going to be whether we have an easy time or a difficult time. And what Jesus is saying to these people, I believe, is that one of the things that we see from suffering isn't the difference of whether we suffer or not according to our faith. But one of the things we see according to our faith is how it is that we live in our suffering and how it is that we experience the grace and the mercy of God as we go through those times that are hard. So when I read this parable of the fig tree today, I'd like to imagine, and a lot of times I think I read it and I see God as the landowner who's going around and saying, well, look at this fig tree that hasn't produced fruit in three years. Maybe it's time we cut it down. Isn't that the image of God a lot of times we, we imagine, not just in our lives, but in our world, the image of the God who's ready to come in and cut things down that aren't, re, that aren't producing, the image of the God who kind of has a transactional quality to God's love, the image of the God who says to us, if you do these things, then you will experience my good, but if you don't do these things, well, look out, I've got bad things in store for you. The image of the God who is the, the angry parent, who is just waiting to make certain that we get what's coming to us. I, I don't know about you, but that, to me, is an image of God that is frightening because I know me, and I know the things that go through my head. And if you know me, you know the things that sometimes can come out of my mouth. You know, you just ask my wife. She can tell you some really good And Melanie Waits could probably tell you a couple of good ones from when I was growing up. You know, I, I know me, and if it's up to me, if it's up to the good things that I can do, if it's up to the faithfulness that I have, if it's up to the capacity that I have to be a good person as to whether God loves me and to whether or not God will allow me to re- remain in the garden, then I'll tell you, I feel like I'm in, in trouble, maybe not first and foremost, but pretty close to the front of the line. I imagine today, especially hearing this text from Isaiah, this text from Isaiah, and I'm actually going to read it a little bit because I think it's so important. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You that have no money, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Does this sound like a God who's just waiting to punish us? Does this sound like a God whose anger has been so kindled that God just can't wait to make sure that not only do we have to suffer the consequences of all of our bad decisions, but we're also going to suffer the eternal punishment as well? Now, there is judgment. But this image of God in Isaiah is so different to me than the landowner who's going around and saying, that one's not working, cut it out. And someone, someone who owns a field of trees... It makes a lot of sense. And I love that line, why should I let it waste the soil? You know, it makes sense because there is a finite amount of land. There's a finite amount of resources. There's a finite amount of minerals in the ground. There's a finite amount of water. 
And if there's something that's growing that's not going to bear fruit, of course it makes sense to cut it down. But does the God who invites people who are hungry and thirsty and who do not have money and who find themselves working for things that don't satisfy or for bread that doesn't give life, do these sound like they're the same kind of attitude? I wonder if maybe in this parable, God is more like the gardener, the one who isn't concerned about whether there's a lot of land or not, but who spent time cultivating that tree from a seedling. You know, the one who's not necessarily worried about the resources that go into keeping that tree alive, maybe in this case because the gardener might not own the resources, the landowner bought them, right? But who's willing to spend more of the landowner's money because he cares for that tree. You know, we don't worship a God who is rooted in scarcity. We don't worship a God who works with a lack of resources. We worship the God who created the dirt from which we were created. We worship the God who when there is not enough, creates more. We worship God, who is not concerned with a scarcity of resources, but who promises us an abundance beyond what we can imagine. The God who doesn't throw us away, but who saw our unwillingness to obey one commandment, don't eat the fruit, or obey ten commandments, and we can look all those up later, You know, or even two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And sees not a people that God is planning to cut off, but sees a people for whom God is willing to sacrifice. Time, love, even God's own son. So that God might bring something new, something different. And... We worship the God for whom we hear the good news in this parable that, yes, all those people perished, but the good news that we get through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is death is not the end. So I think today God is much more like the gardener, the one who sees us and sees in us possibilities, the God who sees our shortcomings and our brokenness and our barrenness And promises that that is not the end of our story, but that God has something good to spread around our roots so that we might have the hope of fruit. And, you know, one of the things that I see a lot in people is I I hear so often people saying, oh, man, I hate my job. I hate what I do every day. I go in and I can't wait till I retire. I hear Occasionally, I'll hear pastors say that too. And it always strikes me, you know, we spend more of our waking day at work than we almost do anywhere else in our lives. Why do we labor at things that we hate? Why do we choose to spend the bulk of our waking lives doing things that we don't like? I mean, yeah, I like to pay bills too. I have a mortgage. I understand that aspect of it. But Why would we continue to choose those things that don't bring us life? Is it any wonder so many people seem so miserable? It's because there are so many people out there who choose the things that are going to feed them in ways that do not enrich their spirits. I think one of the challenges for me in Lent, as I think about the things that I'm called to do, is to think about how can I spend my time, whether I'm liking my job or not that day, 
doing the things that bring life to me and the people around me. You know, one of the, one of the greatest examples of this I've ever seen was when I worked at Waffle House during college, there was a woman named Miss Faith. And she, if, if you were going to have problems, she had most of them. You know, she had, well, she had kids who weren't doing the things they were supposed to do. She had emphysema, and she was, it was getting hard for her to work her shifts. You know, she, she was somebody who had spent the bulk of her savings trying to help out her children. And so she wasn't working because she wanted something to do. She was working because she needed to pay the bills. She had to work with people who, at that time, I was 18 years old or 19 years old, and I was young and thought I knew everything, and she had to put up with me. You know, she had to work with all kinds of people whose lives always got in the way of, their, of them doing their jobs. And yet every time you talked to her, even though sometimes she would grumble and she was the type of person who when she cussed it was really funny, but every time you talked to her, she had something kind to say. She had something positive to say. She didn't always like all the things that she had to do, but she loved the fact that what she did brought a little bit of joy to people's lives because she knew they were going to walk out of their full. You know, it, it isn't about what job we have. It's about how we live out the vocation that God's given us in our lives so that we can be the people that God is calling us to be. Because contrary to what our culture tells us, the fruit we bear isn't how much money we make. The fruit we bear isn't the kind of car we drive. It's not the kind of house we have. It's not what's in our bank account. The fruit we bear isn't how competent we are or smart we are. It's not how good we are with people. It's not how kind we are to ourselves. The fruit we bear is learning day by day how to live into the vision of hope that God has for us in those times when we feel broken and barren and desolate, when God speaks into our lives, something new can grow here too. How is it during this season of Lent when we go out from this place into a world that needs to hear so desperately that something good can grow here too? How are we the miracle grow that God spreads around the roots of our trees? When we hear people saying, well, those people, you know, and sometimes those people are Democrats or Republicans. You know, sometimes those people are people who don't look like us. Sometimes those people are the ones who we see coming from a mile away. And we know that as soon as they open their mouths, they're going to want something from us that we don't want to give. You know, sometimes those people are the people we see in the mirror because we're really frustrated with ourselves. How is it that we can live out our call to be that God-given fertilizer to spread around the roots of the trees that seem to have no hope so that what God is planning for them might grow? This is our call during Lent. This is the call of our lives. It's not about being good people. It's about being God's people and being the people we're called to be. Amen.